one avenue of thinking. The other avenue is just don't come out of retreat, ever. <laughs> Even if you come out of retreat. And uh, the other thing that happens in, in retreats, if they're not yours, but they can be, is people have a, have a strong, powerful urge when they come out of retreat to um, socialize, which is a, a normal human thing and understandable, but it, it greatly dissipates a lot of the retreat practice. And I've seen it over and over again. So now I don't bring people out of retreat. I don't announce it or anything. We just come out of retreat on the time we come out of retreat. And hopefully people can drive straight. <laughs> so be careful. Uh, but you're not, you're not really deep in retreat. If you were in, in a deep, uh, uh, really like a 16, 17, 18 hour a day retreat with very little teaching and just really continuous practice, then we, we do something different. But uh, I prefer that you didn't, uh, at the end of the retreat, whenever that is, um, engage in a lot of social social stuff. It, it really just, it, it's so many times has ruined retreats for people. It just kind of mucks it all up. And people talk about their experiences, which me, which is a violation of precepts. They, um, they start yakking. It becomes a yak session, you know. And so I prefer you didn't do that. I really would. Just just keep to yourself, and you can say hello and be pleasant. And but but watch watch the gossip, watch the yakking, watch the unnecessary talking that happens. Uh, so I just, I just caution on that. So that now I don't do it. I just say, don't. I prefer to have a bus show up at four o'clock, three o'clock in the morning with blackened windows. Everybody gets on the bus and we drop them off. So I really have vowed to do that sometimes when I've heard what's gone on. So. It's really true. So the stuff I've seen is amazing. Anyways, let's uh, let's begin the uh, recitation of the the profound intent, the Gompo uh, Yangsap, the profound intent of the Dharma. We go for refuge the day the age bestower supreme city. We go for refuge the king spell the firewalls of We go for refuge the Buddha, the first monuments. We go for refuge the sublime dharma, peaceful and free from attachment. We go for refuge the sublime supreme field of accumulation. We go for refuge the dharma power masters of activity. Now that the attainment of unsurpassed awakening, I know that thinking beings equal to space. Go for the guru, source of all blessings. Go for the deities, bestow the supreme city. Go for the kings, spell on walks. Go for the Buddha, the first among humans. Go for the sublime dharma, peaceful and free from attachment. Go for the sublime supreme field of accumulation. Go for the refuge of power, masters of activity. Namo Dakshan, 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 Namo
Vajrasattva. Notice also it says state of emptiness. Emptiness doesn't have a state. So we have to find some other way of saying that. From within the no state of emptiness arises Vajrasattva. In Sambhogakaya form, holding a Vajran bell, he's seated upon a lotus moon just thrown. His heart is, one own, is one's own awareness in the form of Padmasambhava Vajradhara. In whose heart, on a moon disc, is a seed symbol hung with the mantra. By reciting the mantra, one's body is filled and washed with nectar. Rain light cause appearance existence to existence to appear as Vajrasattva as that mantra recitation purifies the obscurations of all sentient beings. Um, Suto kayame bawa, suto kayome bawa, anuraktome bawa, sarwa sidhime prayacha, sarwa karma sucha me, sitam shriyam kuru hong, ha 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 ho, bhagawan, sarwa tatagata, bhajama me muncha. Sāvatvā-āvā 
relative and transcendent offerings one can make for the benefit of every single sentient being. This ground is moistened with scented water, arranged with flowers and adorned with simmery, four continents and the sun By offering the merchandise Buddha field, may all sentient beings take birth in a pure Buddha field. Sachi Bo Sawa Lama Dagi 
Tadita shamme shamme vati shamme tashpram amkure mamkure mamkure maratite kaurte keyore olane vishuda nirmale mala pananye kukure kakagase grasane omuke paramuke muke amuke shamme tvanne sarva graha mandanane negre hirita sarva para pavanaya vimukta mara pasha satvita buddha mudra anugatateta sarva mare pushta rita pare shude bhikantsantu sarva mara karmani Ah, where to begin? Where to begin? Turning to the section on Bodhicitta, which is page nine. There have been many I can't quote all of them, but that would be Gampopa. Many, many of the great illustrious masters have said in their commentaries uh, on Lamrim, uh, that is the state, gradual stages of the path, that, uh, sorry, not page 9, further, page 11, which is actually page 12, uh, that to be able to really practice relative and transcendent bodhicitta especially relative, which we need, must have, uh, if one doesn't have a profoundly deep appreciation of the uh, suffering, and let's use the word dukkha, because dukkha has such a broad meaning, suffering, usually for Western means gross suffering, but uh, suffering, uh, dukkha has, has so many other meanings that unless we deeply, deeply appreciate uh, the gross uh, and all other forms, including very subtle forms of discomfort, um, micro-moment discomfort, gross discomfort, uh, uh, then really we cannot practice bodhicitta. We cannot gain bodhicitta realization. This is not possible. So there are, to, to engage in compassion uh, without uh, deepening one's understanding of the difficulty and pain and awkwardness and anxiety and so on and so on and so forth, of being any kind of creature will be quite shallow. It will stop. It will be nice. Be a nice person. It's nice. It's great. But it is not bodhicitta. It's not not bodhicitta, because all expressions of compassion and great love uh, is bodhicitta. But uh, remembering the words of some very great teachers and some great uh, tantras and sutras, uh, bodhicitta is the search for primordial wisdom. Hmm? But we have to bring the relative and the absolute uh, together. So therefore, uh, for the uh, relative, uh, 
we need loving kindness, we need relative compassion, and we need to fulfill those kinds of meditations. Uh, we also uh, need to aspire before we act. So we have to clean up how we make the aspiration, where we're going, what, what moves us, why, why would we be compassionate, why would we want to be loving. So, for instance, would we want to be loving because we're looking for affection, which is very common. Uh, acts of compassion which are really uh, neurotically driven, not all the time by the way, but maybe neurotically driven to feel a sense of love or place or cultural acceptance. And uh, that may be a good thing for others, but actually it's driven. It's driven by the five poisons. Uh, one may even be uh, giving acts of generosity out of jealousy. One may be giving it out of anger. All kinds of reasons. So to, to purify uh, compassion and uh, love, one also has to purify the five poisons. So I want to bring that out and be very clear about that, is that uh, to really contemplate bodhicitta, uh, one has to understand samsara. You just, you just can't. I'm, just, I'm being classic, but I'm also sharing my experience too. It just can't be done. So when it says on page 12, may all sentient beings of samsara be free from suffering, if one doesn't understand samsara, doesn't actually even take it seriously. Oh yeah, samsara, it's an Eastern thing where people cycle through rebirth, but we're, we're Westerners. And we got it really good. Man, do we have a good, look, you got a swimming pool here. Now how many retreat places have swimming pools? <laughs> Not many. And you've got beautiful forests and wonderful animals and humans about. It's a fantastic place, isn't it? This is samsara too. No matter how beautiful it is, godlike realms, hell realms, doesn't matter, it's still samsara. That means the nature of self and phenomena still has not been grasped. This is straightforward. So it doesn't really matter. So I really encourage uh, people to make a great study of, uh, of samsara. And not just the growth suffering. To do this, one's going to have to be in retreat. One's going to have to put away books, cell, phone, cell phones even, uh, and computers, literally, with, with nothing. Just, just your being. And see how the being does. This is not torture. This is actually beautiful. But for many people, it's, it, 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 if you ask them, I'm not torturing myself like that. I have to be busy. I have to be engaged with something. How many people can remain comfortable in their mental and physical skin without an object to hang on to? Not many. You know it is used for torture. Solitary confinement is used for torture and there are cases of people within 24 hours or a bit more, not too much more, of going completely crazy. Why? They can't. They're not comfortable in their skin. They must be utterly distracted. It's used for torture. It's used for punishment and torture because they, people, people know how absolutely difficult it is. We do that at For Great Bliss. <laughs> Just, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful story. I'm sure this happened many times in Tibetan history. A wonderful story I read in, a, in some biographies of, might have been the third Trungpa, Tulku, way back when. And there was some political intrigue going on in Tibet. 
and all the senior lamas of his monastery got imprisoned. They all went to prison. They all got stuck in the same room, went to prison. And they all cheered. Because here they were now, free of administrative duties. And they could share transmissions. They gave each other transmissions and empowerments. And they were fed, barely, but fed. You know. And they could get off. So they were there for like three years. They went, wow, this is great. We're in re like a retreat for three years. We're free of all those duties that interfere. <laughs> it's a great start, you know. And they go, wow, we're so happy that we got imprisoned. <laughs> that wouldn't be a really common Western way of approach, would it? Not? But they're actually going, wow, we're, we, we're, we, can, we can actually practice. We're, you know, they didn't even know if they could practice in their lifetime because they're so busy with administrative details and all this stuff, right, and teaching. So, um, it's a wonderful story. So, can one be joyful and loving towards all creatures, including mosquitoes, including uh, flies, all kinds of, of creatures, uh, and comfortable in the skin of the body, the speech and the mind, while not having to have any specific object? This is, this is really key. The transcendental is no object at all. It's the ungraspable mind, being, being absolutely at ease within the ungraspable mind and the, the ungraspable being. So this suffering, this samsara, is the continuous need for beingness. It's tugging all of us. It's like a tidal force. It tugs all of us. I must become something. Right? especially when you're in your 20s and teens or something like that, yeah, 30s, I must become something. What am I going to become? Yeah, it's huge. And society, it's huge demand. So what is it? And driven, driven to be something. Occasionally, there are people driven to be nothing. That's called suicide, right? To end your life because it's painful to, to always be self-referencing and having to have expectations. So this bodhicitta relative and absolute, is the cornerstone of all Mahayana Vajrayana realization. And it must become inseparable uh, with the nature of, of shunyata. I prefer to use the word shunyata than emptiness. So when it says, may all sentient beings of sara be free from suffering, this means all kinds of suffering, not just gross suffering. To be a being is to suffer. But even while you're a being, you don't actually have to, to uh, believe that the being is a real thing. Yeah? Are we taught that beingness is a real thing in the Western world? Let's not even talk about the East. Who would say so? We're, taught, we're told it's a real thing. And it must be pursued, yeah. yes? And, and one must identify with that beingness, yes? Do you think it causes grief? Oh, yeah. yeah, enormous grief. Just go to an academic uh, lunchroom, <laughs> yeah. or uh, or a conference, or uh, a staff meeting. Yes, in a university. Yeah. That can be really quite something. You know, between the donuts and the coffee. 
I'll make, you know, it's interesting. I, I once read that uh, President Bush, one of the, I think it was the first President Bush, was offered the presidency after his presidency. The United States was offered the presidency of Harvard University. His comment was, I have great, something like, I have great respect for universities, but much more difficult to run a university anytime than the White House. So even very clever people can be steeped in the five poisons. It doesn't matter. All sentient beings, difficult to have a body, difficult to have any kind of cognition. So we also wish two things. We wish relative happiness, relative loving kindness, relative joy, relative equanimity. These are, these are relative levels of good beingness. Yeah, we all should have that, yes? And then we have boundlessness. So this is really very much the emphasis on boundlessness. That is boundless um, joy. Uh, supreme happiness, not relative happiness. So you see the stress here is not only free of all kinds of dukkha, uh, joyful, but truly, and the word there is truly. This is, this is, I, I've always loved this uh, way this is phrased. Um, truly, for real, abiding, not entering into occasionally, a continuous abiding in supreme happiness or great, great bliss. We create the supreme mind, we generate the supreme mind, we uncover the supreme mind, impartial, that is equanimity, boundless equanimity toward all, all sentient creatures, not just human beings, in order to attain the heart of awakening. We want to, that's what we're looking for. So this is the actual direction. And it contains like, like so many fantastic contemplation prayers, it contains really everything you need to know. What's the heart of this experience? What's the heart of liberation? Heart of awakening? Jangchuk Nimpo in, in Tibetan, that is uh, basically uh, what is the heart of the awakening mind of Bodhicitta. Yeah. That's, that's our intention. So no, not only do we want to help uh, beings uh, um, have a relative comfort, Otherwise, they can't practice, right? If people are always in pain, or they're always busy, or they don't have any education, or they um, um, have a, a gross level of, of suffering, they won't be able to practice. That's all they'll be doing, right? Chasing after that. But once that happens, then we need to elevate it to, okay, what would it be like to uh, have a, uh, a freedom of the mind? That is the heart of awakening. In order that we may fully, I prefer to put we in there. So wherever I see I, if the grammar works, I put we. I, I'm going to share something with you. This, I've been doing this for, for quite a few years. I like this style. It dawned on me years ago that if I change the language, which you're allowed to do in Tibetan, from I to we, and when you practice, you're practicing as if everybody's in the room with you. You're leading everybody. Not because you're training, oh yeah, now I'm training to be a lama, or I'm a training to be a monk, or whatever it is, yeah? Not that. 
actually, if you gather everybody together and don't have performance anxiety, you've got the whole world there and the microphone is really a good one. Yeah? Worlds. And if you're now practicing for all sentient beings like you would in the refuge practice, my feeling is it really fulfills Vajrayana much better than when you're in your retreat room, you know, your retreat room, and it's you, and you're doing your thing, and it's your practice, and you're supposed to be getting enlightened. If you drop that for, I'm here to help everybody, I'm going to share this with every single sentient being. So as a matter of course, for three months, six months, every single day when you practice, you're not doing it for yourself. You're here uh, being an example. You rise the challenge and be the example, like sitting like this, right? And being an example for others, you get your act together. It's okay to pretend. It's really okay to pretend because after pretending for a while, you might adopt those, those practices. Because I share that with you because uh, this, is, this is the style in which I I uh, practice, of course, I have a lot of training that way. I, I, I teach almost every day of, of the year. Uh, so the demand is to share this all the time, these teachings all the time. But I've found that if I do the same thing in retreat, never break it, it's truly profound. So if I'm in retreat, then I'm chanting out loud and I'm practicing out loud, unless I'm doing silent recitations or something like that. Uh, but I actually do it out loud for the benefit of all sentient beings. I am declaring dharma for all beings and not just doing this, how am I doing, kind of thing. Was, I found this very powerful. I don't know when it happened. It happened many, many years ago, uh, many, many, many years ago, and it has been, I think, important. So uh, I don't create the supreme mind. We all create, we all generate the supreme mind in order that I may fully benefit a, a beings. Maybe at some point you need that. I need to do this. At some point. Yeah. But at some point I think it should change in order that we may all fully benefit the beings of six realms. So how, how are we going to benefit the beings of six realms? Relative and absolute. So I'm repeating myself a bit, but it's important. Um, can we understand all beings uh, dukkha? Human beings uh, roll through all the six realms. We need to study the six realms. So people say, okay, the six realms. But I haven't met that many people who've actually studied the six realms. It's worth it. So you can open up a Lamrim text uh, like the Jewel of Liberation from Gampopa, uh, Palter Rinpoche's text, uh, Tsongkhapa's uh, Stage of the Path, and so on, where the, there's quite extensive teaching on the six realms. But it's very medieval, so you might go, this is very Tibetan. You know, there are hell realms where, you know, they pour bronze metal down your throat for, for like eons. That's a long time. And then you stop, and then you're okay, and then they pour it again. So, so does this really happen? Well, I think if you talk to perhaps some um, people who've experienced hell realms, um, individuals who've uh, experienced psychosis, you may not far find it's, it's that far, far off. Years of absolute hell, torment. 
So is it possible that there is a, a mental continuum? People have reported this, by the way. Deep states of meditation or when they're dying and other things, uh, very sick, they have, they have reported uh, the experiences of realms where people are just absolutely tortured. And of course, realms where they're living in godlike states all the time. See? So just because we don't see them on a normal basis doesn't mean it doesn't actually exist. The mind can create anything. You could have mental continuums of anything. What's it like to be an animal? What's it like to be a sheep? What's it like to be a cow? Have you thought, have you, have you thought that? What's it like? Get close. What's that like? What do they go through in a day? It's a struggle. It's really difficult. It's really difficult. So how are we going to benefit beings of the six realms? There's two ways we can benefit beings of the six realms through relative compassion and love. That means we can make their lives better. Yes? We should all strive for that. If you see an animal struggling, if you see an insect struggling, take it out carefully, put it outside your room. I have uh, a wish. It's, uh, I rarely ever do this, but I'm going to suggest this possibility in New Zealand. I'm Canadian, but don't take it the wrong way. I think out of compassion for insects, it'd be good if people started putting screens on their windows. It'll save a lot of lives of insects. It's really not that much more money. and. Uh, I think it saved me a lot of time uh, collecting moths and all these animals that are dying, being killed. Uh, so I know in, in my house on Galliano we, we had a problem because of the design of the windows, some of them very difficult for screens and um, the person that made them didn't really want the screens. But anyways, uh, we wanted all the windows to screens. We were, we were probably losing a dead death of Oh, it could have been at least 30 to 50 dragonflies every year up in the skylights being fried, caught, dying. Just all these skeletons everywhere. So, anyways, a wish of mine is, is insects too are sentient creatures and, and they, should, they should be protected. We build these buildings, they can attract the lights, uh, they get in and they're going to die. Hmm? As, and also flies. Flies are actually a lot more toxic than people think. They're actually quite toxic. Studies have shown recently they are really toxic. So it's good not to have flies on your food and so on. It's good. So, yes. so uh, this isn't about anger of creatures. This is actually protecting their lives. They, they have something to do with their lives and they should be helped to do that. So we need to study the different creatures of the six realms. And human beings cycle through all of those. There are times when we have insect-like minds which are very brilliant for what they do, by the way. An insect is extraordinarily clever for what it's supposed to do. It doesn't normally do mathematics, right? Doesn't, doesn't need to. So uh, I, I suggest that, is, is make a study of all these different creatures, creatures you've never known, what is it they're up to, how brilliantly intelligent beings are. They're incredible. All life is incredibly intelligent but all subject to dukkha. Therefore, realizing this, we say we must all attain the stage of Buddhahood, that is, complete awakeness in this very lifetime. Strive. If one doesn't strive for liberation in this lifetime, hmm, 
then we may come up very short and be unsatisfied. At least do the best we can. And that's a gradual process of understanding the depth and the importance of liberation, not just with oneself, but helping other beings in suitable ways. So, Therefore, I will be very diligent, we'll all be very diligent, we pray, everybody will be very diligent in this unsurpassed teaching uh, of, of Dharma. And then it says what it is. It's the path of the luminously clear Vajra essence. So as Antrim Prashe pointed out, this this Uso uh, Dorje Ningpo is none other than the nature of Zogchen. So it actually tells you what Zogchen is. The, the uh, luminously clear, that is the compassion, the rays of compassion, of an utter clarity of an enlightened, free, unrestricted, uh, essential nature. This is a very, very profoundly written uh, prayer or contemplation of Bodhicitta. So uh, when it comes to Bodhicitta, there are, there are things that would be very good to study. And I recommend then uh, opening up texts. It would be good to also have the reading transmissions, but, but uh, maybe better to start now than waiting for a reading transmission. Uh, is the Jewel Orm of Liberation by Gampopa and really plumbing the depths of what this means. Not just reading it over and over and over again, but plumbing the depths, really saying, I will study this for six months, I will study this for a year, and plumb the depths and say, Bodhicitta is vast, and uh, may I study, contemplate, reflect, uh, and, 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 and bring it in over and over and over again. Uh, I would recommend, it doesn't say that, that but um, I would recommend that every time we take up the practice of refuge, that not, not only do we, we say uh, the bodhicitta contemplation or prayer three times, I would recommend way more. That's my, that's my personal experience. I've said to people, 20, uh, 12, that's right, not 12, uh, seven, uh, yeah, seven, 12, 21 times, uh, every session of generating bodhicitta, I, I think it really shouldn't be ignored. Yeah. Repeating things over and over and over again is not necessarily a sign of spiritual attainment. Understanding is. Deep, dawning, a profound understanding through reading, through contemplation, through reflection is the way. Not blindly repeating a prayer over and over and over again, unless you're just memorizing it. That's fine. It makes sense. But at some point, you've got to get in there and go, what do they mean? And where are you going to go look? You can ask teachers. What else can you do? Look up the great profound commentaries by some of the greatest masters who've pondered this for 50, 60 years of their life. Taught it, studied it, pondered it, meditated on it. Go look at those commentaries and see what they're saying. And, and then don't get defeated by medieval language and, med and, and modern translations that are trying to handle. Maybe try to go, what is Gampopa saying? And don't just leave it like that. Come back over and over and go, what is he really saying? What would be, what, what is that like? And uh, 
or Paltrow and Pichon. Just because it doesn't fit Western uh, modern conditioning, it doesn't mean it isn't spot on. It just may be couched in a way that's talking about medieval Tibet or medieval India. You have to see through that. Not that it's wrong. You just have to see through your cultural conditioning, their culture, and what are they really saying that could be used universally. This is, this is really... And most of the time, guess what? I, I, this is my own conclusion. They're always right. We go, yeah, yeah, sure. No, they're not actually right. They're that awake. You know, yeah, you know, it's kind of... It's a Tibetan slant on things. It's old-fashioned. You'll find it in the end. It's usually spot on. It's exactly right. They mean what they say. <laughs> and, yeah, with some, obviously, some cultural uh, coloring there. Also, uh, please, it'd be very worthwhile if you want to really take up the study of Bodhicitta, is also a study of the, uh, what are called the four Brahmaviharas. Uh, and the practice for Brahmaviharas, which you've been introduced to, which is uh, loving kindness, compassion, but also sympathetic joy. It's a beautiful practice. Really, be around joyous people. Be around joyous people. Um, listen to kids. Now, today, don't go and hang around schools. <laughs> you can't do that. I wish you could. Wonderful thing to do, right? Wouldn't that be just great? Stand around the schoolyard and go, wow, these kids are having such a good time. No, you get arrested for that. Um, but I had the marvelous opportunity recently where, where I'm staying is uh, the children of the, of the owners of this um, um, property, their three kids, when they come home from school, they play. And they're out in the fields flying kites and They've got their nets for catching things, and they've got their golf club for swinging like this, and it's just great. And you know, one one child's on the on the back on the uh, oh, I shouldn't say this. Apparently, probably get arrested, but on the backhoe, right? Little backhoe like this. There's little kids that are going like this, and they got their motorbikes, and they're out in the woods, and they're out in this. It's marvelous, and they're screaming, they're laughing. The practice of hearing that and letting that joy seep into you, that just giggly, nutty, laugh your head off joy, that things are amusing, funny. There's a joy, you know, sparkling joy? You need to practice that. Spend some time with some children. They're just laughing their heads off, or some adults. You know? And feel what that's like again. Instead of so serious meditators. Yeah. What's it like to really laugh your guts out until you know it hurts? That's a good part about being a grandparent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can legally be around the kids. Yeah. <laughs> they let you. Unless the parents say, stop. No, no, no. No, I mean, sometimes they do that. Hey, we don't raise our children that way. So this boundless joy, have you felt, when's the last time you felt boundless joy, just absolute giggle, and you don't know where it's coming from? Have you, when was the last time? You don't have a clue why everything's so funny. You're just full of bubbly joy. Got a 
And then equanimity, unmoved by phenomena. Now, you better be moved by phenomena when a car's coming at you. <laughs> That's not the same thing. Boom. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's not that there's no emotion, but you're not, you not bewildered by phenomena. You're able to be unmoved. This is a key component of retreat, practice, and awakening. Unmoved in the face of phenomena. Anybody who is worth their salt, remember Romans got paid in salt? Anybody who's worth their salt, that's where the expression comes from. Yeah. Valuable, valuable commodity salt. Needs to discover the, un, the unmoving quality of mind in meditation in the face of phenomena because every phenomena will be thrown on us in retreat. Have you found some this week, this, this last two weeks? <laughs> some crazy stuff? Some crazy thoughts? I should leave? Have you had some thoughts like that? No? Some of you have, right? Yeah, I want to just go. Then you go, what was I thinking? Well, that's the minor part of it. You might even get so loving, so full of love, you just walk out and all you want to do is just go to the city and, and be and hang out with everybody. All this kind of stuff, yeah? So all kinds of phenomena, meditative phenomena, everything arises in retreat. It's arising anyways, it just gets magnified. You can't, you can't hide from it too easily. Is that right? Yeah. So the equanimity is really, really important that you, you remain unmoved in the face of all this phenomena. You know, you all have had these experiences? Yeah. Well, they can be dramatic. They can be very dramatic. Like the young man I once saw, his parents paid, paid they, they saw the, the, somebody put a poster up or something advertising a, a Mahamudra retreat I was doing on Galliano Island. So they paid for a 14-year-old chap to go away uh, as a gift for him to go meditate. He didn't decide, they did. So that was quite interesting to watch. Anyways, one morning driving to class, he was out there hitchhiking. <laughs> Can I help you? <laughs> every monster will come up, every great joy, great bliss will come up. You have to eat through the great bliss. Well, no, you don't, no, don't have to worry about great bliss. Bliss. Bliss where you need, you know, a spatula for a frying pan? You need a spatula to take you off the wall because there's so much bliss. Yeah. Bliss can be so intense. And it can go on for days. And despair and anxiety can come over you within seconds for no reason. You think, no reason at all. Just walking all of a sudden, whack. You have to learn to be unmoved. Then that teaching of that, that understanding of that, uh, of, of going from a hell state to heaven in the space of 15 minutes. Really, I'm for real. Yeah? And fluctuating back and forth. If you really go through these states, then you're also unmoved by all the dramatic states that get presented to you in daily life. The next email that comes through. The next person that goes off the rocker. Yeah? You need that. It's phenomenal. It will change. 
So these four, I recommend making a good study, good practice of all these four until they become boundless. That is loving kindness, compassion, uh, the sympathetic and transcendental joy, and uh, uh, equanimity. So you can see that in this, uh, in this uh, preliminary liberating text, the path is, it's not saying the path is the Mahayana. Yes, it is. It's not saying the path is this or that. It's very clear what the path is. The luminously clear Vajra essence. So, all the rest of this, and all the practices to follow that are uh, Zogchen practices, are all about realizing the luminously clear Vajra essence. I just want to point that out. That is repeated over and over and over again throughout this text. The entire lineage prayer of accomplishing the rainbow body is all the facets of the luminously clear Vajra essence with pith instructions thrown in. So I'm just trying to give you an overview of this text, why it's so powerful. So by reading it, just reading it every day. Just reading it every day. Even if you don't have much time, half an hour, just read this. It's like a giant body of Zogchen teaching entering your heart, entering your mind stream. So people say to me, what happens if I only have a half an hour? I can't spend uh, an hour and a half practicing. Just read it. Just read the whole thing from cover to cover. Just read it. And you'll see it will be deep. It'll just go in deeper and deeper and deeper. This is of such a high, a high text. As they say in Dzogchen, in Atta Yoga, I don't know who said that, but some teachers have said that. Uh, in Atta Yoga, uh, instead of keeping things a little bit hidden back, everything's right there. If you have the eyes to see. If you don't have the eyes to see, it all looks mumbo-jumbo, hidden. But uh, it's all, all there. So that's, I wanted to bring that to you. That's very, very short. Um, I have written uh, a, uh, a text, which if you want copies for, we can make copies for you, uh, on uh, the uh, practice, uh, the view, if you wish, of bodhicitta from the Dzogchen Mahamudra point of view. I've, I've written on that because I think it's important to bring that out. So... Yeah, I think I've tried to get my point across how, how important it is. Vajrasattva is what? Bodhicitta. Mandal offering is what? Bodhicitta. Guru Yoga? Bodhicitta. That's all there is, is the heart of awakening. That's it. Vajrasattva is the manifestation of body, speech, and mind of primordial uh, bodhicitta and uh, also the expression of, of, of also relative. Uh, when we come to the mandala offering, the mandala offering is, is actually uh, in, both the, uh, in, in both the text but also in the commentaries, a teaching of the outer mandala Right? The precious elephant. See, we should probably say, so what does a precious elephant have to do with me? Why would I be offering a precious supreme horse, a precious general, 
Is that a bit archaic and medieval? The vase of great treasure. They are, but they're, they're also the things in life, you have to take it to a modern time, the things in life that are relatively uh, profoundly deep. So I'll give you an example. The precious general. Think about 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. If your general wasn't a wholesome, uh, good general, your whole village could be lost. You lose your monasteries, you lose your territory. Right? This has happened many, many times. Uh, supreme horse, what would that be? Supreme cars. Cars that don't fall apart while you're going down the highway. Wish-granting cows. So these are, it's really worth studying. What does this mean today? Hmm? Why, would we, why would we want a precious minister and a precious queen? Look what happens when we don't have a good queen or a good king and we don't have good ministers. Just look what happens to our lives. Decisions by some, some uh, beings in authority can destroy our lives. So you have to think of how, how this is. We want all the good qualities to come together. So the entire refuge tree is a giant body of outer, inner, secret, and suchness, transcendental, uh, great merit and wisdom. So we plumb the depths of it. One of the most profound practices I ever did in my life was uh, the uh, two-and-a-half-month retreat of my second go of the Mandal offering. Uh, changed my life. I can tell you that. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I'd be here. Do I? I would have had to do something else. But uh, I, would, I, I wish I have a prayer. I wish all of you to uh, do the full go, multiple months uh, of the Mandala offering. Uh, it, is, it, is a life it can be a life changer. And that uh, doesn't mean one shouldn't do it again and again. So you see that this, when it comes to, like page 24, the Nirmanakaya Buddha field, the Saha universe is arranged a pile of 100 million offerings. It is beautified with an array of individual qualities. Please accept this offering to the three jewels Nirmanakaya assembly. So it goes to, a, to an extraordinary level, this, uh, this uh, teaching, and takes time. Uh, to plummet. So if you do take on the Mandala offering, it's very good to receive uh, detailed, <coughs> detailed instructions of practice, and especially of the different levels of practice. So I'd also like to, uh, before I finish tonight, and, and open the, the, uh, the group here to any questions you might have, is in the uh, In the Guru Yoga, if we turn to page, I think I've already mentioned this, but if we turn to page, let's see where it is, right here. Page 56. So if any of you are 
going to take on these practices, uh, please let me know and I can give you supplementary commentaries and teachings on this. We also have some recorded teachings uh, specifically on this, so it's worth, worth having. So this, this uh, uh, stanza for, uh, that is recited for the accumulation of blessings and for accomplishment uh, really spells out uh, Zogchen and really spells out uh, some very key components of liberation. In the Buddha field of one's own original, I prefer original just in terms of grammar, but we've debated that back and forth. Should it be original or originally? Which one do you think? In the Buddha field of one's own originally pure awareness or in the Buddha field of one's own original pure awareness? Original. I think so. But some people say, no, it should be original. It nullifies it, doesn't it? Verbifies it. So what do you think? Grammar experts? What would you say? I'm not a grammar expert. Uh, yeah, I missed all the grammar in school. So what would you say? Originally. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Original makes it still present, still so. The fact that it transcends time, it can't be a past tense or a present tense. It's, it's got to be just now. Original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, we've debated this a few times. Yeah, that's okay. I can see Mike probably debated this with himself too when he translated it. So listen, listen to that line. Repeat it over and just let it sink in, the implication of it. In the Buddha field of one's own original pure awareness. What's that saying? That's where the entire scope of Buddha activity and all the three Buddha bodies are found, no, none other than one's own original pure awareness. That's what you have to find. This is Mahamudra Zagchen. If you don't discover what awareness is, then you're not finding Buddha nature and it's not Dharma. This is the key. So we're asking help from our, uh, our, our gurus we're asking help from the lineage. Please, I want to discover what this original pure awareness is. The original, not awareness, common awareness, not this awareness. What is awareness like at the ground of all this? What's the awareness that allows you to sleep and wake up again? What's the awareness that allows you to drive down the road completely distracted, never having any remembrance of where you were, and you're still driving on the right, on the left side of the road? <laughs> which, which I have uh, driven on the wrong side occasionally, yes. So the difference between um, uh, relative awareness and absolute awareness, would that be like awareness of, which is relative awareness, we're aware of? No, no. no, no. Oh, you mean relative awareness of things? Yeah. Yes, relative, quite right. And relative absolute. awareness of things. And yes. absolute is what awareness is itself. The nature of it. Yeah. That is exactly, yes, the nature. We have to keep reminding ourselves, not to think, the nature and this will not be describable to anybody, except you will know when someone opens their mouth, you'll go, yes, quite correct. <laughs> you'll feel it, but it's not 
it's not uh, easily put into words. Hmm? We must be able to distinguish that which is uh, a relative and that which is However, there's not a shred of difference between awareness and primordial awareness. So we're back to the ocean and the wave. Pardon? Back to the ocean and the wave. That's right. So if we say uh, thoughts are not primordial awareness, it's incorrect. But it's also incorrect to say that they are. Otherwise, we fool ourselves in the wrong way. Then we go, doesn't matter to have thoughts, does it? We have to be able to distinguish what is the nature of a thought. First of all, we should distinguish what's the nature of a non-thought. That's the usual progression. The usual progression is we need to have thought-free wakefulness to find out what that ground is before we then look at thoughts, which are the waves of the ocean, and be able to see it's the same nature. If we go the other way around, we may fool ourselves very, very, very deeply. Okay, that's the question. I, I know let me phrase this for you in terms of questions. What are we really doing? What directly is the experience and the confidence in this original pure awareness? You have to have trust and confidence in the Dharma. You have to have trust and confidence in the teachers and the lineage that they're actually speaking the truth. Otherwise, you have doubt. Right? That means you're not looking for this. You're looking for relative happiness. Can you just make me a little happier? I'll be fine. I've had stu- people come to me, said that. I don't want that. Just, just can you give me something to be a little bit happier? I said, there's hundreds of thousands of meditation teachers. I can direct you to those. This is what this is about. Discovering it, revealing it, and then developing uh, incredible confidence through direct experience of this purity. When we practice Vajrasattva, what are we after? This. And the word, the meaning of Vajrasattva, it really is the feeling and, and discovering what it's like to feel, not you, discover what is this ground of real purity and gain confidence in that. It's important. Okay. Next, in the palace of unceasing inner radiance. What's the palace? This experience. It also refers to the body, refers to speech, and refers to the mind. Yeah. Normally, we don't consider this experience to be unceasing radiance. In fact, it's just abundant light and space. We have to find that. We have to discover that. So what page are you reading from, please? Ah, yes, page 56. Okay. Yeah. So we have Rang Rik, which is Rigpa, and we have Rang Dang, uh, inner radiance. And what is this written irradiance? Is one's own vibrant energy, rangsal. Sawa, our root guru, sawe. That's the Tibetan word for sawa. Sawe is our root guru. The root guru is the, uh, the root guru is the one that directs our mind to reveal our mind's nature. We can have many root gurus. Anybody that gives authentic empowerment 
uh, and we have a connection to, we take empowerment from, becomes a root guru. But the root guru is the one that has shown us our awake mind, has directed to us, has, made, has helped us make that discovery through the pith instructions and so on. Uh, and that's not to say a question of duration, it's a question of, of, uh, of, of karmic, um, karmic connection. So you see that word sal, energy. Uh, the reason why we do all these practices is that our energy, our subtle, our gross, our subtle energy has been disrupted. That's why people are getting depressed. That's why they're anxious. That's why, uh, as I told you, you know, if someone is feeling really down and they feel, oh, I feel really terrible about life, and you give them a really good hug, and they trust you, what's going to happen afterwards? Here, listen to the breath. Relief, right? Relief. That's messed up energies. That's all twisted energies. That means that the pranas, the lung, has been congested. It's not flowing. The channels are clogged. No matter how many channels you do on your channel changer, you get not very interesting channels. Have you seen that? 500 channels? You go, have you ever gone to a hotel? You go, there's nothing, nothing on there. What's the channel? The channel. Yeah. So uh, also are not only the channels, but the tiglis in Tibetan, bindus in, uh, in Sanskrit, the, the wet secretions, the uh, neuroendocrine secretions get messed up through conditioning. They need to flow. They need to. So when we practice loving kindness, when we practice compassion, you've all experienced this. Have you all felt boundless love? Have you all felt this incredible love, just natural love? That means the bindus are happy. Really. If you can stay and maintain that and develop it, unfold it, you change your physiology and you change your cognition. You follow? That's the, the winds, the channels, and the drops. Right there. What is this vibrant energy of awareness? It turns out to be our root guru. That's what the root guru is doing for us. They're vibrant. They show us this, this quality. Where are we going to find this, uh, this root guru? Out there? Yeah, we have to find the root guru on the inside and the outside. This is important. Otherwise, it's always um, then uh, paying respects, but not be paying respect that the, that the root guru is actually our nature. To whom I supplicate, I pay profound respects with a devoted mind. And the word devotion means utter confidence. Bless me to accomplish the rainbow body. Please give me the instructions. Please give me the, the direction. Please uh, help me uh, make this accomplishment. This is, this, is, this is really what this means. These are key components of all the Zogchen practice. Rang Rik, Rang Dang, and Rang Sok. And what's holding it all together? 
bodhicitta and something else that every single Tibetan Lama, I'm not a Western Lama, but Tibetan title, what would they all tell you if they were sitting in this room, what would they tell you that's going to hold this all together that you have to have? Hmm? Confidence. You have to have trust. You have to have devotion to the Dharma. As it says in the teachings, uh, the uh, head of meditation is devotion. And people go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, actually, it's true. You have to have a heart of devotion. That devotion is called lucid confidence. You really have to trust yourself. And you have to trust the Dharma. And the teachers, they're helping you bring about that uh, with you. Okay? This is very critical. And then uh, uh, the uh, continuation of the, of the lineage and some of the history too. And then taking of the four empowerments. So this means that every single day, at least once a day, if you're practicing in retreat, it might be four to six times a day, one is actually taking what's called self-empowerment. One is drawing on the blessings of the lineage, on the blessings of the guru, the connection, the love and respect for this, the um, utter confidence. And uh, again, just like an empowerment, receiving the four empowerments. Boom. Okay. And I've already explained that to you. But remember, this is, this is, this is what you're doing. So you're, you're warming yourself up to receive the, uh, the four empowerments, just as if in a, in a wonker. So it says on page 62, by the power of offering supplications, great profound respect, in this way, with intense undivided faith, to the guru and home all Kagyu gurus are unified. So the guru, your root guru, represents all the lineage gurus in one. That's, that's how it's, right? May I and all, all other beings, without exception, attain Buddhahood, having realized the meaning, here it is, of original self-awareness. Original self-wakefulness. Original, completely awake nature. Thank you. That's good. I think that says it all, doesn't it? Okay. That's how deep this is. It keeps reminding you, what are you really doing? It's about discovering and developing confidence in original self, the original self-awareness. Not self-awareness. Not awareness of self, awareness of all. All phenomena. What's, what is behind all this experience? That's it. The receiving of the four empowerments. Now I'm just giving you classic traditional teaching. The receiving of the four empowerments is, if it, was, if it happens, I mean really happens, it's full, complete liberation. That's how important it is. Don't take it lightly. It's metaphoric. <clears throat> Don't. Don't take it as, this is metaphoric. This is a nice, pretty thing that happens with some lights. No. 
the uh, receiving from one's guru, passed on, of the genuine experience of the four uh, empowerments. Uh, if it's for real, if it's real full on, and we get little glimpses here and there, right, is a full liberation. This has been described over and over and over again. Yeah. So you can have lots of experiences this way and all kinds of stuff, but the four and the experience of clear uh, primordial wisdom uh, is, is uh, uh, enlightenment. As said, there's not that many fully liberated beings around, fully, completely liberated beings around. But there are some very highly attained beings who have a pretty good um, grasp of it. So. I think that's plenty for tonight. And let's just see if you have any questions arising uh, out of that. But I'm just trying, just saying this is utterly profound, and the more you read it, plummet, contemplate it, reflect on it, let it seep in, the better will be the direction of all your practice. Remember, it's mental attempt. You could do this, you could do this one million times. The whole thing, one million times. But unless you have the right mental intent, you've just repeated it one million times. Don't do that. Don't practice a mantra over and over again unless you're paying attention and you're asking yourself, what would it be like to be that mantra? What would it be like to actually manifest Omani Pei Mihon? What would it be like to manifest uh, Mandrusi, Om Arapaza Na Di? What would that be like? That's the question. Could I, how can I do that? Not that's nice. And you might have a million or two or three or four or ten. But what's the intent? That's the key. Any questions? Regarding the mantra that we're working on, so that the Ayuyanate from Pantheon translate. Coming, soon coming to a theater. <laughs> uh, well, Om, do you want the whole translation? Just the whole thing? Okay, I'll do a, see if I can do a. 
Ohm represents, uh, it depends on who's explaining it, but uh, supreme blessings. And it represents also all mantras. Do you all know this? All mantras in the Buddhist tradition, except for very few, there are some exceptions, but almost 98, 99% of all mantras are Om Ahum, the three Buddha bodies. So the first one is Om, which is, uh, uh, depending on how you want to go about it, will be Nirmanakaya, the embodiment. Embodiment. This is the blessing of the embodiment. There are some ways where they explain this. This is actually the Dharmakaya, because it comes from the Dharmakaya, so it's also a very beautiful way to do it. But generally speaking, body, speech, mind. Om Ahom. So, uh, one way in which Namjoon Prashay like to explain, I, I still think it's one of the most beautiful ways of explaining it for the Western mind. Uh, is uh, in, in the mantra, any mantra, is in the beginning, you know, from the Bible, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word took on flesh. So what we do is the, the vibration of speech takes on flesh. All the mantras are the description of the attainment of that idam. And sometimes there's many mantras describe different facets of that attainment. There might be five, for instance, five, six, seven mantras for Vajrayini, depending on outer, inner secret. Um, and there's, there's long ones, short ones, and so on, essence mantras, and so on. So in this sense, uh, the, the mantra is uh, Om Buddha, the blessings of Buddhas, the embodiment of Buddha nature, of awakeness. And it's saying that the Yadam, the Yadam, which is the long life Yadam, Guru Rinpoche, in union with Yeshe Shogal, is a Buddha. That's what it means. So whether it's Vajragini or whether the word Buddha is put into the mantra of, uh, for instance, uh, Three Roots or Vajrasattva, it always means this. It means that that figure is not an ordinary figure. It's actually Buddha nature. And uh, so that's, that's what it means. And you see this in a number of mantras where the word Buddha is put in there because it's elevating it and saying this is actually a fully awakened nature. It also refers to primordial nature as Buddha nature. And then Ayu is long life. Just try to remember my Sanskrit here. There's a few other meanings. But basically, there's, there's two meanings for Ayu in Sanskrit. Longevity and deathlessness was called immortality. So you look it up in the, in the Sanskrit dictionary, you will see some entries. And one of the entries will be uh, deathlessness, immortality. Yeah. Another will be long life, a long life blessing. Uh, so this has two meanings, longevity and the attainment of deathlessness. Ayu. Okay. Jnana is jhana, is, is, in, is Sanskrit. Uh, J, Spanish, and A, and A. Jnana. Last A long, second A long. Jnana, which is primordial wisdom. 
the five Buddha wisdoms are the five jnanas in Sanskrit. Five jnanas. So this refers to this Buddha of longevity or deathlessness is primordial wisdom. C is long life again. That's, that's from the um, Yeah, I have to look that up, but C, 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 uh, my memory is C is a, is a long life statement. Drum is broom. So it's actually got two long lives. Uh, one is, one, you know, is long life, one is primordial. And then uh, drum is Tibetan pronunciation for broom. You'll see if you look at the mantra there, um, uh, you'll see it's actually broom in, in, in Tibetan. Broom in Sanskrit, and broom is the diamond ground. This is the very ground, the very basis. It also, broom refers to often references of the palace, the jewel like palace. The seed syllable for the emergence of the jewel like palace, the, the ground of a diamond-like mind that is infinite in dimension, where everything emerges from it, but it's all going to emerge stainless, purity, ultimate purity. So that's broom. And hung is totality. Yeah. So this is the manifestation, the vibration manifestation of uh, this Yadam figure that we, we are manifesting and we want to fully manifest for the benefit of sentient beings. And then you see where Buddha is, it is then substituted with the uh, five of the other uh, wisdom Buddhas. So Pema is the Amitabha, Benzra, Varochna, Ratna, uh, Varochna Buddha, Ratna is Ratna Samava, and Karma is Amoga City. So these are the five wisdom Buddhas symbolizing or uh, actualizing the five um, um, qualities, uh, primordial wisdom. And it says in the text here, uh, replacing Buddha with Pema, Benzra, Ratna, Karma, each time as appropriate. So also sometimes as appropriate. So sometimes there may be uh, there may be a time when you feel that uh, emphasizing the ratna aspect is really important during your retreat or your practice, or the uh, a karma aspect or the payment aspect. See how it works, mm -hmm. and you may want to strengthen that that aspect. Okay, so that's what the mantra means. So mantras have meaning, and they have no meaning. They have they are beyond meaning, both. And they have vibrational quality. Where you really want to take mantra is so you feel it all through your body. That's very important. You want to get to the place, you'll all get there if you practice long enough, where the mantra, every time you say the mantra, you feel it vibrating. That has to do with the purification of the, the prana, nadi, bindu. But the whole body, every cell feels alive every time you say the mantra. <coughs> then you want the room, the broom, the room broom, 
to vibrate with that mantra for all beings, not just so you can do clever things and it's really cool. Watch. Om. No, you, 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 you want this, this emanating as light, as radiance, as liberative communication for all uh, six classes of beings, all sentient beings. It is said, uh, this is for tomorrow, uh, but prepare the ground for tomorrow. It is said that a fully awakened being uh, uh, has 60 tones of speech and all those tones liberate beings. So no matter what they're saying, no matter what they're saying, it's liberating beings. That's accomplishment, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We want that. That means every utterance, even no utterance, just holding up a flower. Uh, is an act of communicating liberation. Mm -hmm. yeah. I used to say that about, I, I don't, but I, I share this with you with Namjur Prashe, that I always found that extraordinary from the time I met him, is I used to watch, I used to love just watching what he did as an expression of enlightened mind. And sometimes I would be with him day and night, or not all night, but uh, um, 18 hours, 16 hours a day. And it never, it never deviated from being able to see that every action of his body, even when he wasn't speaking, was an act of awakeness. It wasn't because he was going like this. No, he'd go like this. feeling of utter continuum of awakeness, healthy, sick, sad, something going down, it was always awake. So this is Guru Yoga. Can you find and see the continuum of awakeness and then find it in yourself? You see? It's faster that way. And there's more definition by not deluding yourself that your calm is the continuum. If you spend time around a teacher, you might find that your calm is actually, in fact, in the way. What you thought was a continuum is actually just make-believe. It's very important to have a living teacher, living teachers, that can show you that continuum. That's, that's really important. Otherwise, it's very difficult. It's easy to delude yourself to think my tranquility or when I'm in good states is it. No, it's a continuum no matter what state. And a really compassionate teacher, not this being, but a really compassionate teacher will help you with all kinds of states so that you can be helped through the delusion that it's only one state. Oh yes, it's good. We just have to watch the day that we don't get sued, but <laughs> over anything. Okay, any other questions I have? Yes. When we visualize the skull cut, the giant skull cut with the um, trauma in the staff, is, is that to be made as an offering? Is yes, yes, you're making an offering. Uh, Cole, if you could bring me the, the, the copper skull cup. 
and a torma. Those happy skulls. I need the ha well. If I could have the happy skulls, there, cool. That's good. Happy skulls. Happy death. Happy transience. See. So in space is a skull cup, white on the outside, red on the inside. And you can see all the sutures facing like this, right? It's the size of the universe, and inside the skull cup, which is this. Put your hand like that and just do that. How's it feel? When you open up the nadis in the crown, if you just touch the head, you'll be sent into bliss. When they're free and clear, you just touch like that and they go, it's beautiful. So the whole crown has to open up. And there are experiences of actually it coming off. No, don't, don't be concerned. <laughs> but you will start to feel the winds move through the brain. You'll feel the, the openness, right? As this opens up. So this is opened up and full of liquid ambrosia. Those are real meditative experiences. Right? So uh, the, the vastness, the vastness of the opening and the great bliss, not just bliss, great bliss of bliss emptiness. Yeah? And what comes out of it? A manifestation of bodhicitta. See? And so on. So this, this vision, this vision you want here, this kind of like, like this, in space. Enormous in size to feed who? All sentient beings and offering to all awake beings. I think it's a Western thing. I'm not beating up on Western. By the way, I love this culture. This is we have an amazing time. We, we really, really, is really something else. But we do have cultural invisible impediments, like every culture, whether it's Tibetan or Chinese or Irish or Scottish. <laughs> Scottish? Scottish? Scott? No, Irish. Hmm? Irish? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Scottish. Scottish. Okay, very good. Oh, Scottish. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so many years of the Scottish teacher. So, <laughs> I was getting a point here. This, uh, there is a, a Western penchant for. Um, not needing to make an offering to awake beings, certainly to all sentient beings, but not needing blessings. And I disagree profoundly. Look back at your life and see how many blessings you received and, and how many beings of nurture. I already gave you that meditation too. We all live that way and actually we're all living that way right now. We all need Profound blessings. Go for blessings. Blessings aren't just nice little things. They're really, when you feel blessings, you feel you'll open. 
have your heart opened. So this is really a heart opening. By the, word, by the way, the word heart doesn't just mean this. It doesn't just mean emotional. It means the heart essence opens. So when we practice this way, then we are ripe for doing what? No practice needed for the practice to be natural. Don't ever think that the generation stage is less important than the completion stage. They have to come together. So what do we do? Can you rest your mind? Let's, let's make an expression up. I like this expression. And it's kind of a funny expression. Can you effortlessly loving, with great love, rest your mind in its own skin? Do you know what I mean by that? Wakeful, thought-free, but actually I prefer concept-free. That means when you have thoughts, they have no, they're like rainbows. So instead of saying thought-free, say concept-free. If you have an occasional thought, is that a problem? No, as long as it's experienced like rainbows. So let's try it right now. We've come to the end of the, of the uh, session, yes? And what does it say in the text? Abide in concept-free meditation. Abide in concept-free contemplation. So how do we do this? We look for that which is ungraspable. That which is naked. That which has no restriction. That which has no obstruction. The quality that is boundless and yet uh, without limit, without trying. It doesn't require a meditator. It doesn't require an object of meditation. It's luminous, and yet it doesn't actually have to have any light. It's utterly clear, but it doesn't have to look like a fish tank. It doesn't require that the hands or the legs have to be in a certain posture. It doesn't require that the eyes have to be anywhere at all. Whether we talk, or not talk, it doesn't change. There's no deviation at all, no matter what the body, the speech, or the mind is doing. What's the continuum? That's what we want to look for. And we want to rest and abide in that. This quality embraces all sentient beings naturally without contrivance for their welfare.
Keep it fresh. Don't have it stale. In the Mahamudra and Dzogchen traditions, we meditate short sessions. Short. Not the generation stage. But these are short. If it's dull and it's lifeless, what's the point? So we want it ever fresh. Maybe one minute is better than 10 minutes. Remember, we're not looking for the tranquil mind, but we're not looking for the busy mind. We're looking for mind. Hmm? The aware, energetic, bright, compassionate, great, loving mind. So therefore, we want it fresh. So maybe the first day of practice, one-minute sessions. That could be much better than one hour or half an hour. Fresh, direct, immediate. Awake. You see? Awake. Tonight, what happens? You get, anybody get sleepy at night? Especially as you get older, right? Well, some of the younger ones, they, they go to sleep early. Anyway, that got his attention. Anybody, anybody get a little tired at night? Why don't you try sitting up and take quick periods of being awake instead of long periods. Right? Then move about, come back, and sit and try it. And don't keep your eyes like this. Keep your, do this. Look in, like that. And if it's too dark in the room, it puts you asleep, then turn the lights on and see if you can stay awake. But nicely awake, not like that, not struggling. Eventually, you won't blink. Yeah. But, uh, I had my first eye doctor I ever saw when I was 30-something. You know when you read sometimes and the book falls on your face like that? You, you need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to an eye doctor and he tested me out. Do you blink? <laughs> I think so. Says, do you ever blink? <laughs> Remember saying that. The young guy says, do you ever blink? <laughs> Why? Says, you don't blink. Your eyes just stay open all the time. He says, you got to blink. I want you to start blinking. Okay. It's going to hurt your eyes if you takes time to have the eyes stay open. And it's also connected to this. That's why we have these eyes open. We, this has to be released. This channel, we want that to be released. Okay. Any other questions you might have? That's getting on. Watch out <clears throat> for their cr their crowns, <laughs> skull cups. Watch out! Protect yourself! Protect yourself! Watch out for scalpers.
goodness gracious. So, Mr. Cole, if you could lead us in a dedication, aspiration. <clears throat> Namo Bhagavan Sugatas in the ten directions of three times. Guru is still of the three jewels. All the other pictures, as many as grains of dust in the field. All the other pictures, as many as grains of dust in Now on, as much virtue as the virtuous actions performed by my largest body, speech, and mind in equal space. Accumulate through it three times, and stain those virtues existing from the beginning. Stay together together in expansive awakening. Arrive the state of knowledge of the victors with your children. The state of knowledge of Sukhatas be totally perfected. The great stage is evaded by demonstration of the wheel of knowledge and liberation. May the holders of stages and perfected activities carry happiness to the world and dharma to all migrating beings. And may yogas be satisfied with the glory of the ten virtues. Having purified all the suffering and samsara of the six causes, may we quickly obtain the omniscience of complete Buddhahood. Having the force accumulated with this virtue arising from amazing connections of cause and condition, may the sentient beings three times existence of Sahara, having actualized the ultimate knowledge in their own awareness, perfecting all stages of primordial wisdom through the conduct of Santavadra Bodhisattva, abide in the supreme space free of observations, without objectifying the meaningful benefit of others according to the past of disciples, the reign of Dharma falls corresponding with their interests. Having ripened disciples the state of the three Vajras, they obtain in Buddhahood the vast dimension of Buddha Santavadra. In this life, the life that is conditioned, permanent, and empty, the constituents of the five elements are complete as a Buddha field of the five families. Having risen in the form of the Guru Bodhiyana and the Bharata, may all sentient beings led by those with one has a cause of negative connections immediately move to the Kachari abode, having ripened and liberated the whole range of disciples. Through many emanations, the appearance of one's own primordial wisdom, may they all obtain the unsurpassed ultimate result of both. Namo Chokchudu Zigundu Ragne Gawa Lamjam Kun Tanche Senchi Dagla Gonsu So Dene Dachan Gaya Tanche Ki Luna Yisu Giche Gewa Le Dusu Sape Gewa Thank you.
See, uh, is qualified in the mantra, uh, uh, as primordial life. So it has the word primordial wisdom be in front of it, and the ground after it. <coughs> so see really means life, but here it's qualified as both primordial life and also the ground of, of life. It's a very, <coughs> very profound mantra. Mm -hmm. See. See. Yeah, see. <coughs> Good. See you tomorrow at 8.30. Okay. Great.